Hail and well met. Welcome to another episode of Self-Evident. My name is Jenna, and today I am joined by Alyssa. Today, you're going to hear part three of a interview done with Dr. Stephen Castle. So part one and part two have already been released, and that was about Pastor Castle's background, his childhood, and how he became the warrior for Christ that he is today. And part two was about the pandemic and how it related to the church and how Dr. Castle stood up and was the first pastor to not close his doors during 2020 and the mandates to shut down churches. Today you're going to hear part three, which is about community and how it's so important for us as humans to have a covenant community. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so we've been talking about the church and the culture and the biggest movement that we're seeing that's infesting politicians that's infesting um, our schools today is this transgender movement. It's um, forcing this gender ideology on little kids. It's teaching them from when they're four years old about things that is too in-depth for their minds to comprehend. It's forcing sexual decisions on kids. It's sexual abuse. And we're seeing this as an accepted role for the teachers to take, for the politicians to take, that parents need to shut up and sit down, that churches need to shut up and sit down. And even for social media and influencers to take too. Right, that pastors, you can do your church thing, but you can't talk about the culture. You can do your little gatherings on Sundays, but you can't say anything else. So what does the church do? What is your take on the transgender movement? You know, there, there was no dynamic of society or culture that Jesus shied away from. I mean, he was dealing with divorce. He was, uh, he was dealing with financial matters and and he was very matter of fact about these things. He he wasn't like, well, you know, I probably really shouldn't be talking about divorce, you know, because that's not my thing. I'm just supposed to be preaching the gospel because I'm Jesus. That was the gospel. That is the gospel. The gospel is anything that affects any part of our life. The good news is that Jesus went through the entire atonement process to entirely atone for all of our lives. He atoned for marriage. He atoned for finances. He atoned for our health. He atoned for our sins. He atoned for our identity. That is the gospel, and we think that there is some kind of a a thick wall, a wall of separation between the church and the state. There's no such thing. There is no such thing. I, I am a whole person, so wherever I go and in whatever I communicate about, it is going to be influenced by my worldview. I have a biblical worldview, and so therefore everything that I'm going to think about or, or have any kind of interaction or influence with, it's going to come from the, the core principles of what the biblical version of humanity is supposed to look like. Just like a person who is a secularist, is going to live their entire life based upon their worldview of secularism. Um, That's fine. If you're a secularist and you look through the world through secular eyes, whatever. God bless you. It's free country. Do what you want. But I'm not going to check my belief systems at the door just because I'm walking into your public school. Mm. By the way, I paid for it as much as you did. Exactly. (laughs) So I have every right to take that in there. The, The reason that the church... And again, I'm not trying to talk bad about the church because I, I believe in the church. I wrote the book. The book, my the title of my book is "Liberating the Bride," literally talking about how important the bride of Christ is, about rescuing 
her from the clutches of, of the evil abuser of the world. The, I, I am a pro, pro, pro church. I'm a pro ecclesia guy, but the reason that we have the dynamic of churchianity today that we do, which is sermonettes, which make Christianettes, you know, Jesus didn't have no sermonette. The Sermon on the Mount lasted somewhere between three and five days. Go find a Christian who won't have a cushy chair, who has to go outside and listen to a preacher rail on for five days. Right. <laughs> There's no way. You're not going to find it in America. That, that was normal Christianity. That was Jesus' version of Christianity. The, what we have today is preachers that are, that are genuinely affected I'm not trying to make them out to, you know, be a bunch of, um, uh, to be something other than they are. I know that they genuinely have a heart for the kingdom. There's no reason you would ever be a preacher longer than five minutes if you weren't called by God and you weren't anointed by God. Like, it's the worst job ever. Everybody hates you. I'm just telling you, as a preacher, everybody hates you. They all have commentary about how terrible you are. You can go to the machine shop and make screws the rest of your life and you'll get zero criticism. Nice screw. You built a good screw. Thanks. That's a good screw. Good job with screws. But every single buddy has something to say about how you how you love your wife or you don't, how you raise your family or you don't, how You're your sermons are. Yeah. With a, the car you drive. Yep. You know, if I if I go He's to the too store. Rich. He's too poor. <laughs> right. If I go to if I go to church and I got a new iPhone, like, ah, oh, preacher's got too much money. Yeah. He's got a new phone. Okay, my <laughs> last one was literally eight years old. <laughs> it wouldn't even make a call. Like, yeah, but you just must be a prosperity preacher. You got a new phone. Okay. Mm -hmm. So everybody has an opinion of a preacher. And so I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm not trying to join the beat the preacher bandwagon, but. You're just observing. What happens is, you know, Jesus said that, um, that hired shepherds will flee when the wolf comes. And really what we have in, in ministry today our hired hands. And I, and I, I really don't want to say that. I, I, I get, it breaks my heart to say that. But we really do. And if you're a hired hand, then your decisions are going to be based upon public opinion. If I say this really hard thing about sexuality, I'm going to lose so-and-so. And so-and-so is a big giver. And it's real, just so you know. There's, we, Kay and I went eight years without having a, a regular income at the church. Wow. We had to believe God for grocery money. I had to believe God for clothes for my children. Mm -hmm. Like, believe God. So I know the pressure of, like, if you say the thing and so-and-so quits, and they're the only one that's giving at your church right now. I know that pressure. It's real. It's real. And I get it why preachers have to make this decision. I'm staying out of the sexual arena because there are, I've got folks that are homosexual in here. I've got transgender folks. I got, And all this together is what's making this church work. And if I go and nuke it, then there's no church. And, there, and there's a truth there. There's a reality there that if I stand up Sunday and I say all the things that makes everybody in my whole congregation mad about all the stuff, we don't have a church. And so it's useless for me to just stand up and offend everybody on purpose. But there is some, there is a responsibility somewhere. Uh, you're not in one ditch. You're not in the other ditch. The responsibility is somewhere, and that somewhere is the truth. If we're not founded, if our foundations, our principles are not founded on the truth, and we're not 
sold out to those foundations, then any storm can come and blow our house over. Jesus told that parable. If it's built on the rock, then the storm's going to come. The cool thing about that parable is that the storm came to both houses. You're guaranteed to have the storm. Pastor, you're guaranteed to have the storm. But what are you building on? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. At Beloved Church, we're going to talk about sexuality. In fact, I, I talk about it a lot. I've actually been asked by the youth group to come to the youth group and talk to them about sex. I'm actually that crazy preacher that thinks that if I give people God's version of something— it will protect them from Satan's version of something because the reality is is that 99.9% of people in America right now, their first sexual experience was satanic. Be it imagery, be it, um, be it a conversation that they had, you know, at eight years old with that one kid behind the dumpster about the thing and the stuff, 99.9% of every walking, living, breathing human in America today, their first sexual experience, knowledge, conversation was satanic. The enemy has done a great job of stealing something that God created. God made it in the only, there's only two human activities that currently exist that were created in sinless perfection. And it's marriage and it's sex. And if there's two things that I would say that the enemy has targeted more than anything, it's marriage, it's family, and it's sex. And because the church is scared to go into these realms, we're fearful. What if we start talking about these things and people stop giving or people quit? Or what if they go online and make me some kind of homophobe because I'm talking about biblical sexuality? That's just, it's just a context that I don't have in my own head. I can't worry about what all the people that don't like me are going to say. I have to honor my Lord. If he's Lord, Lord means Lord, which means I have to protect our young people. And I have, and I've let them know I'm, I'm pen pals with a bunch of teenagers in our church. And we write back and forth and I tell them the truth about stuff. And I go to the youth and I let them know. And I'm the first person that's ever talked to them about sex. And, I'd, and we have marriage, uh, marriage retreats where we take people away for two, three days. I spend th- My wife and I will spend three hours talking to married couples about sex. And I cannot tell you how many times people have said, we have never heard that. We didn't even know that was in the Bible. Wow. Most people don't even know that the Song of Solomon is literally a semi-erotic book of the Bible. Because we've changed it. Well, it's Jesus loving the church. You no, do know not. that the Song of Solomon <laughs> was way before Jesus showed up. Like that book existed before Jesus was born of a virgin. Like it showed up. And there is so much context. There is so much truth that is available. But because we slice this down into just kind of giving the people what they want, we have literally created a, a ministry style that is, my responsibility is to give the people the popular thing. If I give them the popular thing, then they'll give me money. 
and then I'll have a job and I'll be famous and my YouTube channel will grow and all that kind of stuff. And their ears will be tickled and, and they'll the, be yep, fine. And they'll, and they'll be fine. The problem is, is that eventually there's going to be a real thing that comes along, not like the fake thing COVID, but there's going to be a real thing that comes along. And because you didn't build the inner structures, the instruction, the in internal structure that needed to be built inside the people that God has told you to feed my sheep, shepherd my lambs, because you didn't do that. When the storm comes, their house is going to fall. And the scriptures make it real clear that we ministers are going to be held to a higher standard, that we are going to be uh, accounted for higher judgment than the average person, because we had a responsibility to get, build God's people. Our people should know how to defend biblical principles for how to do life. And the way that you can check that, so I'll say this real quick to the ministers that are out there. I, I minister to ministers all over the world. I get invited to ministers' conferences all the time. And one of the things that I'll say to the ministers out there is here's how you know what you can do, how well you're doing. Here's how you can take the temperature of how well you're affecting ministry in your church. Can someone in your church explain it? Can someone explain it? You only can explain things that you actually know. Can somebody in your church take an eight-year-old and sit them down and explain to them the gospel without using uh, Christianese, without using, you know, without quoting 14 verses? Or Can they literally explain to an eight-year-old how to be born again? Can they explain to a 12-year-old what biblical sexuality is, why God created it, why it's important? Why is marriage important? Why should you keep yourself pure for that moment? If you can't, if people in your church can't explain it, then you haven't done a good job of, of teaching and preaching the people that God has given you. And these things, uh, sexuality, this transgender movement, it's just an, it's just an I identity crisis. We've been in the middle of different identity crises for who knows how long. This is where all a bunch of this mess came from. It's just another version of an identity crisis. I don't know why this is that so many people are so uh, that are so caught up in the in the vacuum of this particular message. Because how often have we come across a time when there's just some identity crisis going on in a culture or society that the church steps in and says, "No, your identity is in Christ, sillies. What's wrong with you? Our identity is not in uh, in the hippie movement." God doesn't call us to be hippies. He calls us to be like Christ, Christiformity. And so we just step in. We're supposed to step in as the church and say, no, you're just getting your identity from the wrong thing. You're not supposed to have your identity in your career. You're supposed to have your identity in Christ. Now, from your identity in Christ, go have a great career. Yeah. You're, you're not supposed to have your identity in your sexuality. And that's what this really revolves around because I did another series called Love and Purpose that was based on Romans 8.28. And which the, the purpose of a person is what guides them. Purpose is like a compass in your heart. If you know what your purpose is and it's divine, you can always have your needle pointed towards true north. But if a per person doesn't have a compass, then they're going to be lost. How, think about this, the average Christian would not die for the gospel. But you have tree huggers that will die for a tree. They'll chain themselves to a tree. They're so convinced of their purpose that they'll die for it. A tree. 
There are people that will die for their transgenderism. They'll take the drugs. They'll, they'll mess up their life so bad that they'll die. They believe in this so much that they'll die. There are people that are willing to strap a bomb on their body in the name of Allah and blow people to death because they believe in that ideology so much. And one of the reasons that we're, we're behind in Christianity is because we actually don't believe it to that extent. We're not willing to put that much skin in the game. And so, therefore, there's going to be people that are going to be more attractive. Man, this, this transgender crowd, they really believe, and they're really strong, and they got a covenant community, and they got each other's backs. And, they're, and you want to be popular today? Show up at school tomorrow as the opposite sex, and, and, and everybody will be your friend, and you'll be protected by the government, and the school will love you, and the leaders of the school will love you, and you'll, have, you'll just, I mean, your whole life. So there's going to be a benefit for these people. And because the church is not showing people the benefit of the other life and showing it by deep commitment and by our faith, uh, by our actions, then it's going to be super attractive for these young folks to go into whatever's making them popular. It's so true. We have not um, given our people an opportunity to really see the truth because we're scared of these topics. We're scared of all of the feelings and the emotions. Feeling is a, how a person feels, F-E-E-L, is a four-letter cuss word that should never be in the church. How you feel should not matter. What is supposed to matter is Jesus and the truth. And we should be at the pulpits declaring the truth to people and giving them an opportunity to be free. Jesus said that when people know the truth, that it will make them free. That's why our culture has been able to be imprisoned and caught into slavery by all the ideology that's out there because we haven't taught the truth. The identity of a person cannot be in her sexuality ever, ever. I don't wake up every morning and say, well, that's right. I'm a heterosexual. I've never even considered that. as part. That's not my identity. My identity is son of God husband, father, minister. Like that that's my identity is in there. If my identity was in my sexuality, that would that would be such a destructive way to live your life. Mm-hmm. If your identity was in how much money you got. Mm-hmm. I mean, the average person, even a non-Christian person, if they walked up to someone and he said, "Wow, my identity is in my paycheck." Even an ungodly person would say, "Hey, bro, I think maybe not so healthy, <laughs> not really a good idea." But the church can't even walk up to someone who's struggling in their sexual identity and say, hey, maybe your identity shouldn't be in your sexuality. Yeah, it's, We can't even do it. It's so fascinating how people that they call themselves the LGBTQ community, where that is their covenant community. And when they introduce themselves, you know, they come up, they say their name, and then they go, and I'm lesbian, and I'm gay. Right. Compared to like all of the other priorities in your life where you can say, you know, my name's Jenna and I make 4,000 a week or something like that. You know, are you hearing yourself? How are you actually believing that this is who you are? It's, we've, we've been headed this way for a while because, um, they've built this into the core of the, of the psychology of our society. Because think about this. Um, if you're black, you have to, Above all things, you're black. You know, like you're not a a Christian, number one, and then an American, number two, 
and then a father number three and then you know yeah, a great of, no hierarchy like, no that is the no i'm a black american african-american i'm a hispanic american i'm a democrat christian anything that's ahead of christ has usurped the lordship of jesus and We've been building our society around this. You are something else. You are the color of your skin. You are your economic position. You are your sexual preferences. You are, instead of having our identity in, you are a son, a daughter of God. He created you. Because if, you're, if your first identity is you are a son or daughter of God, then it's going to be really easy to go to your father to find out how to do life. And he's going to teach you the way you do life is sexuality is only meant for the marriage bed. That's what, you know, sex is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. It is one of the most powerful things on our entire planet. And it will, it will make the strongest man go to his knees. You know, David, King David beat a giant as a five-foot-tall, 17-year-old, ruddy shepherd who probably smelled like sheep, and he beat a giant with a rock. But he was brought to his knees by a woman and basically gave up his identity with Bathsheba. Sex is powerful. Sex is crazy powerful. It's so, I, I connote it, I, I allegorize it as like a fire. Fire is one of the greatest things that we've ever been gifted by God in humanity. You can cook food. You can keep yourself warm. You can create light. The things that you can do with fire are, are infinite. Fire in a fireplace is one of the greatest things you'll ever have in your life. Six inches outside of your fireplace, and it will destroy the whole house. Sex within the confines of what God created it for it to be is one of the greatest, most powerful things that we could ever experience in the natural realm. And six inches outside of the place that God intended for it to be will destroy your entire life. And we're watching it play out in our society. And, and it hurts me that the preachers don't care enough about people. And that the Christians in general, I'm not just picking on the preachers because they're congregations. You know, if 100% of the of the woke pastor's church <laughs> showed up. They all had an encounter with God on Saturday and they showed up Sunday and they said, preacher, no more woke. We want you to preach truth. We want you to preach it wheels off, hair on fire, rip it every Sunday. And we want you to do it for two hours. You know what that, ne- that pastor would do the next Sunday? <laughs> well, howdy. Finally, I got, I got me a flock that they wanted. So some of the reasons that the, that the pastors have have succumbed to the pressures of, of wokeness is because their people put those pressures on them. So there's two ways to, to win this. We can either have the preachers stand up and set their pulpits aflame for the holy cause of liberty like they once did and righteousness, or you can have the people say, that's it. We're only going to churches that have pastors that are going to preach un, unabashedly and unhindered from the scriptures and from the truth of God. Either way, you can fix it. it, it it's, it's easy to fix either way. You can either have the leader 
have an encounter with Jesus and start teaching truth, or you can have the people that demand that the only thing that comes from their pulpit is truth, but we don't have that. We are a, are a minority of churches in our region, and we're in cornfield, northwestern mm-hmm. Illinois. And we're a minority of churches that believe in the biblical definition of sexuality, the biblical definition of marriage. The, and the fact that our people even know that, that's something that's even radical mm-hmm. comparatively. Yeah. That you can go and sit in the church. You know, the there's churches that are down the street that have 10 times the amount of money and one-tenth the amount of people that we have. Wow. Consider that. You know, we're... You know, I don't want to, like, uh, make anybody feel terrible for poor Pastor Steve Gass or anything like that. But we're struggling, you know, monetarily. Like, we got a school going. We got to keep that going. I got an itinerant ministry that I got to keep going. We got to pay the bills at the church. We got to, you know, pay the staff. We got to, you know, we got all these things that are going on. And we're operating on one-tenth of the budget of the church down the road that's got a third or a tenth the amount of people but because they've been there for 150 years, they got the trust funds from the super rich farmers that just left them Googles of money. The reason they can be woke is because they're paid to be woke. And we don't, we don't really realize it that this happens all the time. The, the, the moment that a bad ministry has no money, that ministry ceases to exist. If all the Christians in America said, that's it, all we want is biblical truth. We want um, we want the raw, un, untainted, unfiltered, and we're only going to support those ministers and those churches that are doing that. I there would be about seventy percent of our churches would shut down tomorrow. So it's it's two, it's a double edged sword. The people are okay with it. They're okay with the preacher standing up there doing well. I've, I've seen multiple videos of churches that have had drag shows in the service. How could you call yourself a Christian and sit in the building? The only reason that preacher was able to pull that off, it wasn't because the preacher is crazy out there activist. It's because he feels comfortable with his people. You couldn't do that at my church and not survive. <laughs> there would be a there'd be a lynching. <laughs> and it would be Steve Castle. The the reason that you can't do that at our church is because we're committed to a different ideology. So the the fact that that could take place means that we have given up the standards not only as ministers but also as the people of God. It's not just the minister's job to read the Bible and know what God said. That's right. It's every believer's job to know that. And, and I would, I welcome, I say regularly from my pulpit, hey, if you hear me say something and you think it's off, bring your Bible and let's sit at my desk. But now bring your Bible. Yeah. I, I don't want your opinion. It's not your opinion versus my opinion. It's Bible. We're, we're going to debate the scriptures and we'll find out. Maybe I got better context than you. Maybe you got better context than me. But bring your Bible. Let's talk about it. I, I don't. I don't say anything that's unchallenged. I'm the most approachable person in ministry that I know. Like people can reach out to me. I, I'll give my phone number on this podcast. I am. I am not trying to hide from anybody, and I'm completely open. You, like I said, there's people living in our house. You want to see? Uh, Steve Castle doesn't preach one thing at the pulpit and live another thing at the house. It, I am Steve Castle. My identity is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 
Same thing as the pulpit, same thing at IFI, same thing at and Walmart, same thing. I, I, I don't know how to live two different lives. We as believers haven't adopted that because a lot of people just show up Sunday and they do Christian version. Right. This is Christian Steve, Sunday morning. Yeah. Yep. And then they then they clock out and then they go home and pop a beer and watch football. And then that's the real version. That's the real one that's actually sitting on the couch with the beer in her hand. I, the, that is the part that is needs to go away because that person, he don't care what you're preaching. You can preach truth. You can preach not truth. Whatever, you know, I'm not a transgender person, but if we're supposed to be pro-transgender here, I'm cool with that. Here's my tithe check. I'm good with that. The, if the people of God had the same righteousness burning in their hearts— as the people of the first church, then the ministers would have to respond. And then vice versa, if the ministers were burning with righteousness, then the people would either get gone or they would get revived. Right. And either way, I'm okay with that. So the blame goes both ways. Yep. I'm okay with uh, the Lord's going to do some culling and he's going to continue to prune. I'm totally okay with that. Or I'm okay with us going into a great awakening and our nation having a revival like it ain't never had. Either way, I'm going to be serving Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right. Can I ask you, as Generation Z, as young adults, you know, early 20s or in high school, how do Christian youth, how do they find the covenant community that you're talking about? Because all around them, they see the um, identity communities that are popping up, you know, the LGBTQ community, or it can even be a sport, you know, their football community or their yep. baseball community, yep. their ballet community. Um, That's totally normal. Yep. How can we find a true, genuine community? Like if you're going to church, but you can't find that at your church. I know so many, so many friends who are going to a church. They're like, I don't have many friends. There's yep. nobody here yep. that I can actually connect to. How do we find that? Um, you know, one of the things is that one of my favorite promises, and it's, it's literally going to be the simplest thing. You're going to be like, well, of course, (laughs) but John seven, seven, Jesus said that if you seek, you find. And I know that that's just one of those things that people, they read that and like, oh, isn't that pretty? Yeah. Jesus said, if I seek, I find. But I, I really do believe that if it's something that your heart desires, God will give you the desires of your heart and they're out there. I'm not saying that they're easy to find. I'm not saying that you can you can punch it into your Christian dating app, you know, mm-hmm. christianmingle.com and right. find you the super cool Christian community. I, I'm not saying it's that easy. It's hard work. The the things in life that have the most value are the hardest to find. Heroes do the hard things. And usually the hard things are the right things. And that's why we have a society that's filled uh, with a bunch of Lois Lanes is because they won't do the hard things and they won't do the right things. And so if a person's out there and they're truly hunting that kind of community, they'll find it. I I can assure you. We've had literally people, and I'm not trying to brag on Beloved Church, but we've literally had people from across the country move to Lena, Illinois to come be a part of our church. Wow. Because they want the community. I'm going to have to visit this church. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome to. (laughs) Um, it, it It is because we are building that authentic community. And and they're out there. I can't say that they're all over. Well, honestly, if it was, if it was normal, yeah. then um, then it really wouldn't be special. Right. The fact that it is rare is what makes it special. The fact that what makes the Mona Lisa 
worth so so priceless. It's not because uh, Lisa is so hot. Because <laughs> every time I look at that picture, I'm just like, Why what is, this is the famous? deal with this thing? Like, I mean, she's just a whatever awkward and a weird kind of position yeah. that she's sitting. But man, don't ever say that to an art major. Mm-hmm. Like, they would just rip you to shreds. Like, oh, this Mona Lisa, it's this and that. And and really, it's like the artist. And it's and it's a one of a kind. And it's, a, it, it's all the other things that makes it so priceless. That's the same thing with the community. It's the fact that they are hard to find. It's the fact that there aren't very many people that choose to live that way. It's the fact that it is so rare. That's what actually makes it real covenant community. Remember, Jesus said that, um, that the people that are on the wide road with all the masses, they're the ones that are headed for destruction. The only people that are headed towards the kingdom are going to be on a narrow road, and there's just going to be a few of them. And so really it's going to have to be that, that, that desire on the inside of a person to say, you know what, I'm not going to follow the masses. I'm not going to follow the crowd. I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to go after the thing that is unpopular. Yeah. I'm going to go look in places that nobody else is looking. And your generation is primed specifically for that because it's been, we're three generations away from an unchurched group of people, yeah. an unchurched group of people. Three generations ago, you went to church. You, you didn't necessarily have to believe all that. You didn't even necessarily need to be sold out. But there ain't no way that you were waking up on Sunday morning and not going to church 150 years ago. You were going to church. And by default, you would have picked up some stuff. Yeah. You would have figured out murder was wrong. Well, now we got people walking into schools and murdering 20 and 30 people because, A, they don't think it's wrong. And, B, they don't think there's any judgment. If you knew there was eternal judgment, if you knew that the what you did in your life was going to be accountable to God, to the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth, if you knew that, you wouldn't walk into school and shoot up people. There is no way. There is no way. And especially do that and then take your own life yeah. because you think that you're getting away from judgment. You just literally took your own life and you ushered yourself into judgment. If we had a society that was at least dragged to church and they had biblical morality, like here's the Ten Commandments, kid. You know, sit there and I'll give you a cookie if you learn the first commandment. You do that ten weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the worst thing is people are going to say, okay, well, I'm going to honor my father and my mother because God said so. Well, I don't really believe in God. I'm not really sold out to God, but... I, I can see how societally it would be better for a bunch of young people to honor their father and mother and for their parents to be honorable people because they learned it. So we haven't done that. So the 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 rare thing now is to find a real, authentic, sacred, covenantal community in some church somewhere. And I'll almost guarantee you it's not at a mega church. <laughs> yeah. I'll almost guarantee it. I'm not talking bad about them. You know, God bless them for for all their people and their money. And I'm and I'm proud that they're 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 affecting society. Good for them. But you're not going to find covenant community, authentic, deep, um, soul connected, heart connected people in in a covenant community. You're not going to find that in the masses in the big room with a thousand people. You're going to find that in a living room with eight people. You're going to find that at a dinner table. You're going to find that in a pulled off to the side at an altar with some minister that actually cares enough to talk to you for three hours about the stuff in your life. Mm -hmm. 
And that's hard to find because people aren't willing to invest that. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to check the box. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to get my 50 minutes in, and then I'm going back to real life. We have people that come, and they just stay all day. Come at 8 o'clock in the morning. They all go out to eat together at 1 when I get done preaching, maybe. And then they come back to the church together, hang out at the church, talk about life and stuff and things. Then we go play volleyball together at the gym, at the school, and we do that until that's done. And then we we laugh and we cry and we burp and fart together and we all have a great time. And and we're real people. We know each other. We know each other's flaws. You know, Genesis 3 says that Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. They, it's it would be it would be great to have a community of people where you could be naked, where all of your flaws could still be there, and not be ashamed by them. That's a two way. That's me willing to be naked with people, and it's people that are so sincere in the things of God that they're willing to know about your flaws and not let them implicate your identity and your nature because of those flaws. Yeah, naked and unashamed. Something you said earlier sparked a question in my mind. Um, you mentioned how the cultural churchianity that we have today is you check the box off, you go to church, listen to the sermon, you go home, you watch the football game, and that's the Sabbath day. And other things that you were saying of how we're so unchurched in our generation 150 years ago, you brought your kids to church to learn the basic morality at least. And would you say that we have, as Americans, lost what it means to keep the Sabbath day holy? You know, the Sabbath uh, was a type and shadow. It was, it was God resting, not because he was tired. It was resting because everything was done. That was the original um, type and shadow of what the Sabbath was. That's why Jesus came in and he said, look, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not about a day. The Sabbath was actually meant to be a man. His name was Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. Hebrews chapter three and chapter four makes this very clear that Jesus is our Sabbath. It's not a day. But in the same way that water baptism doesn't do anything but make you wet unless you're doing it for the purpose of what it was intended to be the same way that representing Jesus on how you do the seventh day can be a representation of what God finished in Jesus because he's now finished the work. John 19.30 says that Jesus, one of his last breaths, that he drew a breath and he said, it is finished. In the Greek, it's tetelestai. And it literally means that he had accomplished everything that he was here to accomplish. And when Jesus died, the Son of God fell asleep. That was the rest that we're supposed to live in. We're supposed to live in the rest of his finished work. And how we, how we live our whole lives. I think that the way that I live Monday should be very close than to the way I live Sunday. I, I don't really don't think that it should just the name of the day should determine whether I have more or less honor or value or sacredness towards that day. And, and I believe that the Lord had the same opinion because you can see him doing a bunch of stuff on Sabbath days and getting in tons of trouble because he was supposed to be honoring the day. And he's like, really? 
the Sabbath day and I'm not supposed to heal people. He's like, even you, even you lamos, if you got an ox that falls in a ditch, you'd go get them out on the Sabbath day. You'd do work on the Sabbath day for your ox. And he's like, I'm healing people. And you guys don't even understand that the Sabbath day was more about it was more about a divine concept, a divine principle than it was about a sacred day of the week. Part of of honoring the Sabbath and doing something that might be a little bit unique on that day actually goes into that principle. Because as a kid, you're not going to understand the deep spiritual principles and doctrines and the theology about the Sabbath day and type and shadows and all that kind of stuff. But you know what you're going to know? And on Sunday, we go to church. On Sunday, we see people praise God. On Sunday, we're in the scriptures. On so, so they're going. It's going to be built into them that there's going to be an honor for the Sabbath if they're raised in that dynamic. And then later on, you can transition them like, "Hey, it's not about a day. It's about a man, and he wants to live in your heart. He wants to make every day sacred and every day holy because that's who he is." And then that kid can say, oh, "Okay, I get that." But we're raising kids to believe in Santa Claus and an Easter bunny, and a tooth fairy. And so why do you think that you have a whole generation that you've been, they've been lied to about Santa Claus, the Easter bunny, and a tooth fairy, and then later on you come to them, you say, now there's this Jesus, this invisible guy that does really sweet things, and he wants to be a part of your life. And then little Johnny's going to say, yay, just like the Easter bunny? No, the Easter bunny's not real. Well, then Jesus ain't real. We wonder why they're confused by that stuff, because we never actually raise them in an environment that has given them what the real version is. And if, you know, I feel terrible because if there's some parent out there and they're like, well, I taught my Johnny that there was, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to make anybody feel bad, but we never did it to our kids. We wanted them to know that invisible Jesus was more real than all the visible stuff in their life. And so we never had a tooth fairy or an Easter bunny or a Santa Claus. And God to, is faithful and sovereign. Like, yeah. he will use everything for good. Right, right. And that was the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to be that way. And it can create honor. Just like, you know, the dietary laws and all those kind of things. They weren't in there because God's like, hey, I totally hate shrimp. Yeah. Like, how Why did dare I create you? Them? <laughs> right. There's no way you should ever have a shrimp hoagie for the rest of your life. You'd be a sinner and you'd go to hell. He, God made shrimp, and, and we know this through Peter, that God had to tell Peter three times, look, if I called it clean, it's clean. Right. Just just accept it. And Peter's like, oh, so I can eat shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> the, it, it wasn't about the shrimp. It was about God trying to give us something that would make us get this, like, oh, there's a separation. There's a sacred way to do life, and then there's the regular worldly way. And so God kept giving us these types and shadows of how to, how to separate the sacred from the non-sacred, the clean from the unclean. And then we're supposed to switch that over and say, okay, in Christ, we live this way. We live clean in Christ, which is a separation from how the rest of the world lives in Babylon. That was what the intention was. So if we kept the, the Sabbath— and we would sanctify it in our own lives, and we would sanctify it in our young people's lives, they would grow up knowing that there was the separation between the divine way of life and the Babylon way of life. Like I said, I would love to take a, a class from you. Just... <laughs> <laughs> well, do you offer any? <laughs> do you offer I, college uh, classes? I, I do work for a seminary. I work for Covenant Theological Seminary, so I'd... Uh, 
So you I do. Have, I could tell. I, <laughs> there's access to some of our stuff, and and I would just, you know, if anybody's out there and they want to hear, uh, like everything I've ever preached, most everything we have is on our our YouTube channel, our, our beloved church YouTube channel. It's okay. Beloved Church Media. You can find it there. Um, I have I have multiple websites. I have stevecastle.com. I have drstevecastle.com that was built just for the book. Uh, then I have a, a I have a Substack, a blog that I do, and I put out at least twice a week. I put out stuff on my blog, and I get to get into depth there, and I can um, kind of expand the scriptures a little better in the written language. Um, and then obviously there's just a ton of, you can come to the church and you can experience it for realsies and, and not just from a distance. And we have USBs that we hand out that have entire series on them and books and all, all, everything that anybody would need to, to be discipled in this kind of way. We make it over and it's all free because I believe that the gospel is supposed to be free. Matthew chapter 10, verse seven and eight says, says, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Steve has no super awesome doctrine, no revelation. That's just Steve. So I get to package it up and sell it in the name of Jesus. So it, everything we got is free. Some stuff actually costs money to like print it. So like I got to sell my book because I got to pay for the paper. But outside of that, that everything we have is available free. And so we invite anybody to come and get as much as they want. Drink from the well all you want. Thank you so much, Dr. Castle, yeah. for yeah. joining us. I so enjoyed our conversation. I think our listeners are 100%. really going to connect with And thank you so you much said. for coming all the way down. Guys, he drove two and a half hours to get here. <laughs> That's commitment. It was worth every minute. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much. It's it's absolute honor to to talk with you and get to know your story and to hear how God is using you in Illinois right now. Yep. I'm I'm honored to be here. I'm one of the few people that lives in Illinois that knows that they're called to be here and know that I'm supposed to be doing the things that I'm doing and I love it here. In Texas, they had two seasons, hot and not. <laughs> in Illinois, we have four seasons and I love it. Well, we're very, very grateful that you're here. It's my honor to be here. Thank you. Well, I hope that was as informative and encouraging to you as it was to us. And thank you so much for listening. And once again, thank you so much to Dr. Castle for coming out all of this way to come and have a conversation with us. It was such a blessing and a privilege to be able to get to know him and the ministry that he does. With all that being said, until we meet again, let us firmly rely on the protection of divine providence. And as Jesus says in Matthew 5, let's remember that we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all of those who are in the house. So let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. This is self-evident.